0: I forgot during the announcements as well, live stream. Good morning, Don. He he stopped by this week, and when he found out I was preaching, he said the only way he'd watch is if I gave him a special shout-out. So uh, thanks, Don, for tuning in. There's going to be a quiz on my sermon after the service. I'll be sending you that later, though. Uh, Today we are continuing our series, Messiah, where we've been uh, connecting prophecies from the Old Testament to Jesus and His life nowadays, and, or I guess 2,000 years ago, but still reigns today. And, and we've seen how everything from Jesus' birth to His ministry here on earth uh, for, to His even death and resurrection were all foretold through God's people in, in thousand, over the course of thousands of years in many different ways. And as we've been... oh. Jubjubes? Oh, sorry, before we get any further, we're going to just dismiss the jubjubes right now so you guys can head out to the big kids, big kids. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so this morning, we are going to be connecting the prophecies uh, in the Old Testament of the role that Jesus would have in the church. the the role he would have as ruler and judge over his people and who he was promised to be. Now, ever since we brought sin into the world at the beginning, Adam and Eve, uh, God has been working to restore our broken relationship with him. And and it started with a very small promise. It was really unclear at first how God would redeem this brokenness, but it, it ultimately started with the promise of a man who would be struck by evil, but who would ultimately crush it underneath his feet. Uh, And I I like thinking of it, you can think of it like a 500-piece puzzle. Uh, And so the, the picture of how God would reconcile humanity to himself wasn't clear yet, because really in the beginning they just had one puzzle piece, that evil would be crushed. Now, you can't tell what the whole picture looks like just from one piece, but as... God continued to speak through his people, and and as time went on, the picture became clear. God revealed more of those puzzle pieces to us uh, through through people like Moses and David, people and prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah, and the picture eventually became clear enough to see that it looked like a savior, looked like one who would come and reconcile God back to man, but would be God himself in a way. But God's ultimate plan was still a mystery at this point until Jesus came. People didn't know for sure when the Messiah was going to come. They didn't know what he would physically look like. There were still missing puzzle pieces. And, and not only that, but people interpret puzzles poorly. I think we still do at times. Now, living for us, we live 2,000 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. And so we get a better understanding, and it's easier from where we are on this side of history to connect some of those dots. But um, as, as Paul says in Colossians 1, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, the partly finished puzzle was now finished, and it looked like Jesus. But we can still misinterpret that puzzle and, and when we do, it's almost like taking these puzzle pieces around and jamming them into places they don't fit. and We still get a picture, but we don't get the intended picture. So we miss out on on the magnificent joy and hope that's available to us through the Savior. So as, as we're looking at some of these prophecies this morning that relate to Jesus' role in the church and as ruler and judge, uh, I, I want us to understand two things out of this. The first, that... Because Jesus was faithful on our behalf in ways that we never could be, there is a joyful righteousness that we can have. So that's the first thing. And the second is that there's a great hope present to us now, knowing that God fulfills all of his promises and even more than we understand at times. So as we're looking through uh, these prophecies and connecting them to Jesus, the Messiah, Uh, That's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand the joy and righteousness that we can have through what Jesus did for us and the hope that we have now because of what he's done. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, The first promise that we're going to be, or the prophecy that we're going to be looking at, is that uh, Jesus was, or the Messiah was said to be a prophet like Moses. So Deuteronomy 18. We're going to be reading verses 18 and 19. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen behind me here. Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command them. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. I'm going to be reading quite a few different passages jumping around, so I'll Uh, Hopefully give you the verses before I read them out. There is the promise that there would come one who was like Moses, a prophet like Moses. Uh, And so in in the context of just what we read here, Moses is giving the law that God is speaking to him, to the Israelites. And God puts in this this prophecy that there would be a prophet like Moses, but better. One who would, would say everything that God commanded him to and be faithful to that. Now, uh, from the rest of Scripture, we understand that Moses was a person who was close to God. He was very close to God. And in the book of Numbers, it says that he was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth, which is a little ironic because he wrote the book of Numbers. Um, But that aside, Moses faithfully spoke to the Israelites on God's behalf. He, He said what God told him to, which was difficult, whether it was informing the enslaved Israelites that their God was going to take them out of their slavery or, or relaying to them God's law, uh, Moses had the courage to say what God spoke to him. He had the courage to relay that information. So because of this, Moses faced persecution from the Egyptians. Um, they didn't want to release the Israelites or the, the Pharaoh didn't. And so he heard, sorry, the Pharaoh enacted harsher punishment on the Israelites for that. He was uh, facing persecution from his own family at points, from his own people who he was trying to help and save. But Moses was faithful to speak truth, even though it costed him, even though it was bringing all this pain and persecution. And in this same way, there would be a prophet who would come and speak the truth to us, and it would cost him, and he would suffer because of it. In, in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus is, is speaking to the crowd and he says this, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded, to, uh, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And, and we, we know, living again on this side of history, that Jesus was crucified for the words that he spoke. He was, he was put to death on a cross because he said the truth, and he was faithful in ways that we can't be. You see, it's, it's, it's difficult for us nowadays to speak truth when we know it's going to cost us. For instance, if we uh, have to be gentle and, and remind someone of the truth when they're doing wrong, or, or when we have to remember it ourselves and admit our mistakes It's hard, to be honest, to speak truth. How much more difficult would it have been to to speak truth knowing that it would lead to your death on a cross? So Jesus was faithful on our behalf to speak truth in ways that we never could. He spoke the whole truth no human would have been faithful to because even Moses failed. Even Moses didn't fully say what God wanted him to, which is why he never made it to the promised land. Moses chose to speak his own way instead of obeying God. He wasn't wholly faithful, unlike the promised Messiah who would be faithful to God and wouldn't even uh, miss a word that the Father was speaking to him. And that's why we can have hope, because there's truth. We know the truth is that Jesus has come and restored our relationship with God. We can live in peace and joy knowing that our sins are paid for and that the death that we deserve is no longer on us. That we can be free from the sting of death. We are free and reconciled back to God and nothing can take that away from us. Before we look at the next prophecy, I just want to point out a few more ways in which um, Jesus was really like a prophet like Moses. There's a ton of different... Uh, connections here to the Old Testament prophecy. So I'll just give you a few, a little spitfire around here. Um, Both Jesus and Moses were transfigured. Uh, Moses, when he went up onto Mount Sinai to receive the law, came back down and his face was shining. Uh, Jesus, when he went to pray with his disciples Peter, James, and John, uh, it said that he was transfigured and his clothes became bright as lightning. Um, both jesus and moses brought the law moses through the torah and jesus through the pe- the teachings and parables that he spoke uh, both were born into a nation where the rulers set out to kill all the infant children the male babies uh, both of them fasted for 40 days in the wilderness both of them were willing to sacrifice their own lives for the benefit of the whole So when God speaks a promise, we can place our full hope knowing that he accomplishes his words, that they are true, that he will fulfill them in in ways that we don't even understand and see sometimes. So that's the first prophecy, that there would be a prophet like Moses, but he would be more faithful. Uh, The second prophecy about the Messiah's role in the church is that he would be a faithful priest who does God's will. Uh, Now, a decent amount of the Old Testament uh, there's, there's different chunks that talk about a priest's role. And, and, and really, if we boil down uh, the, the basic job of a priest was to rule and to represent God in the world. So they were the ones who upheld the law, the Levites, in the nation of Israel. Uh, but basically, again, their role was simply to rule and to, to reveal God to those around them, to represent him. And so ultimately, this role began with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Where it said they had God's likeness in them. And they were encouraged, or they were commanded to rule over every living thing. And they eventually failed. They abandoned their calling, and they brought violence into the world, and they had to leave Eden. So God raised up others over the course of time. He raised up people like Abraham, or David, or Aaron, Caiaphas, who all represented God to the world as his priests and ruled as God and ruled over God's chosen people. But the problem is that they failed, just like all of us have. In some way, they all failed to represent God properly to the world, and so they marred his image. Um, David slept with his friend's wife and then killed him. Abraham lied about his wife. Aaron led Israel to worship idols. Caiaphas literally condemned the Messiah to die. Each, in their own way, tainted God's image and represented Him poorly to the world, just like we do at times. Because we're broken, we make mistakes, we fail. In, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, God promised that He would one day send a priest who would represent God to the world perfectly, and here's what He says. "'I will raise up for myself a faithful priest,' who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one forever. One day, there would be a priest who was faithful to God's word, that he would have written on his own mind and heart what is the Father's desire, that he would bear God's likeness without failure. This meant that there would be true justice, in a place where priests often took bribes and were selfish, and they bent the law to help themselves. Which is why Jesus, when he came around, he enacted the role of a priest. He healed people, and he forgave them their sins so that they could come to the temple again and worship, which is what the priests were supposed to be doing at that time. So people could know God's true character without it being marred by people's sinfulness again. He would make a way for us to know God in this broken world. This was hope, and all of it culminated in Jesus. We see these prophecies come together in him. He was the perfect high priest. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and uh, Philip pipes up, and he asks if Jesus can show them the Father, and that, that would be enough, he says. And so Jesus, in response, says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even, if, even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying he is that faithful high priest. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one who would represent God perfectly back to the world again. The intimacy that Adam and Eve had in the garden could be restored now that the Messiah made this relationship fixed again. That he restored and reconciled us back to him. Nothing that we could do ourselves all could come and know the Father. There wasn't any restrictions on it anymore. They didn't have to meet with a priest, an earthly one at least, who would, who would speak to God on their behalf. They could come directly to God and know him. You see, before Jesus came, meeting with God was nearly impossible. Um, if, you, if you wanted to physically be in God's presence, uh, you could only do that as the high priest, and even then you could only do it once a year. There was only one day a year, and you had to go into the Holy of Holies behind this large, thick curtain uh, where you could meet with God. And like I said, it was only once a year, and only one person was allowed to do it. Meeting with God was terribly difficult, is what I'm trying to get across here. Uh, But after Jesus cried out, it is finished. In the Gospel of Mark, we get this really short detail. It said that Jesus cried out his last, and then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, why would would a curtain tear? Why is that detail important? Why did he include that? Um, Because there was no longer any barrier between God and man before. The curtain was what separated the holy of holies from the unholy, the rest of the world, to be honest. And now that this curtain was torn down because of what Jesus had done, his presence erupted from the temple into the world. It wasn't a physical location where you had to meet with God anymore. He was in the world. He was present to us. We could know him from wherever. It was an incredible accessibility to God who was once contained to this small area, to this small tribe of people even. By dying as payment for your and my sin, Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God again. We don't need to go through an earthly priest to meet with God anymore. As, as Hebrew 4 puts it, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Have you guys ever been in need before? We can come to the Father for everything that we're in need of. So that's the second prophecy, that the Messiah would be a faithful high priest, more than any before him. Third uh, the third prophecy I want to look at is that the Messiah would judge the world with true justice, with true justice. Um, now, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, uh, God chose specific people throughout the course of time to judge and to rule over his people. Now, it was intended that the priestly role was the one in which would rule over the nation of Israel and guide them through the law, uh, But after God's people settled into the promised land, they kind of went astray, and they started doing their own thing. If you read the book of Judges, that's where this is happening, Um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. It starts off with a few good judges that God calls and raises up, Uh, people like Ehud and Gideon, who were faithful and brought peace in the land because they were faithful to God. But there were others who ended up doing much, much worse than good and drawing people away from God rather than calling them closer. So there were people like Abimelech, who was Gideon's son. Uh, He murdered his 70 brothers just so that he could be the one in power. Uh, Or or Samson, who who followed his appetites of of gluttony and lust and who, who constantly disregarded God's law. God's people were a mess, and it kept getting worse. If you read the end of the book of Judges, kind of a horrifying picture of reality of of how bad and and broken the world was at that time. So instead of continuing to obey what God had put in place, this this order of priests to rule over them, Israel said that they wanted to be like everyone else around them, all the other nations, and they said they wanted a king. They, They wanted someone who would rule over them. They wanted to be just like everyone else around them. And so God gave them what they asked for. He set set kings over them, and the first one was King Saul. But, as we know if you've read much of the story, eventually they too used their power for selfishness. They were broken, just like we are. And and so there were kings like Ahab, who who chose to lead Israel astray and worship other gods, or uh, King Jeroboam, who, who made golden calves, just like Aaron did, and told Israel to worship them as their gods. Now, there were some good kings who judged fairly. Uh, we get kings like Josiah or, or David, um, but again, all of them abused their power to some degree. All of them misrepresented God. All of them were not faithful to him. They were, they were marring justice. They were taking truth and turning it just a bit. Every sinful person that God would give the authority to judge would judge poorly eventually now ultimately there was no fair judge and even still today we don't have any fair earthly judges because we're all broken we live in a broken world and so god foretold that one day there would come a judge who was true who was impartial who would speak truth and righteousness and we actually sing this uh this part of psalm 9 at christmas verse 7 and 8 it says the lord reigns forever he has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. This Messiah who would come would, would allow all to no longer stand condemned because he would bear their guilt and sin. And we know that as Jesus now. And he showed us what true justice looked like as well. He taught us not to just, as the law said, you know, an eye for an eye, a foot for a foot, he he told us to forgive those who hurt us jesus told us to not even be angry with people in our hearts or minds he, he told us to to not judge people for their weaknesses he is the righteous judge we can trust to be impartial and we know he speaks truth because of the promises that he's spoken And Jesus even says this in John chapter 5, My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but the will of him who sent me. He doesn't do what he felt like in moments where we often do, right? He did what we could not. He, He judged impartially. He doesn't try to justify sin like we do. He doesn't turn a blind eye to our mistakes like we do. He judges with truth and with righteousness. It's an incredible promise that we can hold on to. He is truth. Now, the last uh, prophecy that we'll look at today is that the Messiah would usher in a new covenant and that he would pour out his spirit to all people. Now, for us living in in the time that we are, like I kind of mentioned, it's hard to place ourselves in the shoes of people in the past, especially when we're talking about this new and the old covenant. It's hard for us who have been living for the past 2,000 years under the new covenant, to understand what it would have been like to live under the Old Testament law. Uh, we, we don't understand, for instance, what it would have been like to memorize all 613 rules and laws that the uh, Old Testament set out. Uh, we, we don't know what it's like to pay for an animal and have to bring it to the temple to be slaughtered in payment for our sins and mistakes. We, we don't know how truly difficult it was to uphold the law because where we're living in history. Now, the Old Testament law was, was incredibly difficult to uphold. It was, it was impossible to uphold. You could break the law without even realizing you were breaking the law, and you're still held guilty for doing so. And if you read through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you get that picture that it was impossible to uphold, that we could never be completely made righteous through the law, which is why God's promise for a new covenant was so incredible. There could be righteousness, true righteousness, not just a temporary appeasement of their sin, because every time they made a mistake, you could walk away from the temple having just sacrificed, and you would have to go right back if you made another mistake, if you sinned again. So we see uh, another piece of God's puzzle of how he would restore humanity back to himself in Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. People of the Old Testament could look forward to a time where where they wouldn't have to uphold themselves where they wouldn't have to constantly justify themselves before God, where they wouldn't have to constantly do all the work in order to be close to God, that one day He would make a way that wasn't based on our own broken righteousness. And that's exactly what the Spirit does. In, In John chapter 14, Jesus is encouraging His disciples. He's telling them that He's going to have to leave them soon, but He's giving them a great hope because of the Spirit. And in in chapter fourteen, he says to his disciples that one of the spirit's purpose that he would send the, to them was that it would teach them and remind them everything that Jesus had spoken, and everything that Jesus taught and everything that he accomplished was the new covenant. You see, it would be written on their hearts, or sorry, their hearts and their minds. His new commitment to us was now a living spirit within us. It wasn't a physical location we had to go to. It wasn't a law that we had to uphold ourselves that he would do the work and that we could enter into that promise. This is the good news. We don't have to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to make up for our mistakes. We don't have to sacrifice our way to righteousness. I like the, the only command that Jesus gives in, in, in following him, in, in, in following this new covenant, is recognizing that it's a repentance and a belief. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. This is a covenant we can actually live up to. This is the good news. And because of that, we can have true joy. Joy knowing we are so loved by God that he did everything in his ability to bridge that gap between us. Nothing that we could do ourselves and because we know that God fulfills every promise that we've seen, and even in ways that we don't know He fulfills His word, we can have a firm hope knowing that all the promises, all the things that He's promised to us, we can trust and hold on to and believe. So that being said, I want to I close with these words from the book of Revelation. This is a promise, again, that we can hold on to. We know that He is good and that His words are true. In Revelation chapter 21, It says, one day God will dwell with us and live with us. That we will be his people and that God himself will be our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible love, the incredible sacrifice you made for us, the incredible stepping down from your heavenly throne to enter into this broken world, to make a a bridge for us to be with you again. We thank you for your incredible hope and joy. And we just ask for your help to understand this all the more in this season as we celebrate, as we look forward to the joy and the hope that we have because you are the Messiah, Jesus. We ask for your help to be able to celebrate, to recognize this joy and to understand it. God, ultimately we need even you to have hope, um, to, to understand hope. So we ask that you would help our hearts and our minds to understand that a little better this week. Pray these things in your name. Amen.